explain this is how do you read the sports section? For instance, in tomorrow's newspaper, you read something like, the Chiefs slaughtered the Raiders. Now, really? Did they take machetes and axes out there and just hack those guys up? That's not legal in football. In fact, they're trying to keep people from getting hurt, not not making it like a Roman Colosseum. And so when you say, when, if you saw something like that, that the Chiefs, well, you know, and I don't even know the Chiefs are going to slaughter the Raiders. I'm not making prophecies. I've watched the Chiefs play enough that I know. <laughs> I've seen years where they start off real good and then they just kind of snatch defeat right out of the jaws of victory, you know. And so this is not, I mean, and, this, and that's not a prophecy either. They may yet win. I don't know. I'm not, this is not a comment on that. I'm, I'm talking about language, okay? I'm talking about whether you take things literally or whether you take them figuratively. Now, if you're reading the sports page and it says uh, the score was this to this and there were this many yards rushing and this many yards passing and there were this many uh, uh, touchdown passes, those were all facts. You take all of that literally, and he says, yeah, they slaughtered them, or, you know, whatever, or they, they cut through, or whatever language is used. You can tell. We do, we do this all the time in English. We can tell whether it's literal or whether it's speaking figuratively, okay? And so how do I read the Bible? Well, I read the Bible literally unless it tells me that I should not. <laughs> if it gives me some clue that it's not literal. For instance... He spoke a parable unto them, saying, well, that might be a clue that what's coming up is not necessarily literal. Okay? Um, for instance, in the book of Judges, he talks about the trees went out looking for a king who would be king over them. They asked this tree, and they asked that tree. Well, obviously, this is all figurative. The trees didn't go out looking for anybody or anything. You know, obviously, that's, that's not to be taken literally. Another example, if we look at uh, Revelation chapter 9, um, I've mentioned this a little bit before, but we'll get, a, get another example of it here. Revelation 9, 7 through 10. The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. And they had hair like women's hair, and they had teeth like lion's teeth, and they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sounds of their wings was like the sound of chariots of many horses running into battle, and they had tails like scorpions. Now, how was it like scorpions? Well, they had stings in their tails. Now, there's something that we can, you know, they didn't say like stings. It says they were stings and their tails to hurt. Their power was to hurt men for five months. So this is a horrible thing that happens during that great tribulation time, Daniel's 70th week that we mentioned earlier. But here are the clues that we, what we're reading. We can look and say, okay, we should not take that literally. It's like this. It's not that. It's like that. And so uh, just as we... Um, so, so that, that's what I propose. I propose that we read the Bible literally, take it literally, unless God has put something in there to tell us, no, I'm, I'm not being literal here. Another good example is Revelation chapter 12, 1. A woman, oh, sorry. And now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet and on her head with a garland of 12 stars. We read something like that and go, okay, that's not uh, speaking literally. So read it literally unless context tells you otherwise. Also, you can look in the Bible and see where it uses the same expressions as we did about the, the sharp sword and that sort of thing. But now I want to spend most of the time looking at examples of Messianic Bible prophecy, prophecy about Jesus. In Micah 5.2, um, it says that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Whenever the Magi came and talked to King Herod, 
and said that they came to see the king. Herod went to the scribes. Where's the, where's the king of the Jews supposed to be born? The scribes, how did they take that prophecy from Micah chapter 5? How did they understand it? They understood it literally. He'll be born in Bethlehem. They told Herod. How did Herod understand it? He took it literally. He's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. What did he tell the wise men, the magi, the scribes in the scriptures say he'll be born in Bethlehem? How did the magi take it? They took him literally. Everybody took it literally. There was no, but that's apocalyptic. Nobody said, well, that's apocalyptic literature. Malachi's a, uh, I'm not Malachi. Micah's a prophet. And uh, a lot of that's in poetry. And so we're not real sure. We're not, that, that's got to be, you know, allegorical. Or, no, they, they said Bethlehem and everybody that was listening to that understood it literally. Born of a virgin. Uh, Pastor Tom talked about this last week. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Uh, and he also mentioned that the original Hebrew word means young woman. Uh, but between 100 and 300 B.C., before Christ, so this is probably about as long as America has been in existence, somewhere in that time span, they translated the Hebrew Scriptures into Greek because a lot of Jewish people were living away from Israel and they were no longer speaking Hebrew, they were speaking Greek. It was actually after the days of Alexander the Great. And so they translated the Hebrew Scriptures into Greek. We call it the Septuagint. That's based off of a, that comes from the number 70. In fact, the abbreviation is LXX, which are Roman numerals for 70, because the tradition is that 70 men did the translation of the Hebrew Scriptures into Greek. But when they came to that, now, now, as Pastor Tom mentioned last week, Matthew has a word that actually literally means virgin. Okay, but one could contend that perhaps Matthew had an agenda. <laughs> well, what about 100, 200, 300 years before Jesus? Well, this is before, this is probably before Joseph's and Mary's great grandparents were even alive. What did they see? What did they translate it as? They put the same word in virgin. A virgin will be with a child. Does that, well, that's, that's ridiculous. That's got to be allegory. That's got to be, that's got to be figurative. No, it was literal. It was literal. And they understood it to be literal. And Matthew presented it as literal. Jesus really was literally born of a virgin. It talks about the forerunner, John the Baptist in Malachi chapter three, verse one. We'll look at that a little bit more. In fact, I'll have it up on the screen a little bit later on. Was John the Baptist literal? <laughs> yeah, there literally was John the Baptist. He wasn't an allegorical character that they just made up for prophecy. He's literal. Whenever John the Baptist was in prison and he sent his disciples to see Jesus and said, are you the one we were looking for or we look for somebody else? And Jesus said, go tell John what you've seen. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. What was that? That was a fulfillment of prophecy in Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 through 6. Messianic prophecy. Jesus was, were the blind only figuratively healed and allegorically seeing? Or did they really see? This is all literal. The blind were literally seeing. The deaf were literally hearing. The lame were literally walking around, running, jumping. It's literal. The fact that Jesus rode the donkey in Jerusalem, that comes from Zechariah 9.9. Did Jesus figuratively ride a donkey in Jerusalem? No, he literally rode in. Are you kind of picking up where I'm coming from here? <laughs> 
This was all literally fulfilled. This was all prophecy, and it was all literally fulfilled. Yes, Jesus did ride a donkey into Jerusalem um, and fulfilled the prophecy of being the Messiah in Zechariah 9.9. The fact that he was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. He was literally betrayed, literally 30 pieces of silver. It says in the prophecy in Zechariah, throw the money to the potter. That literally happened. They picked up the money, they gave it to the potter, they bought the potter's field, made it a burial ground. It literally happened that way. It wasn't treated as allegorical or figurative. They pierced my hands and my feet. Psalm 22:16. That literally happened. They pierced his hands and his feet. In Isaiah 53:10, it refers to him being the asham, the guilt offering. Uh, some translations might put trespass offering, and I, I have a little difficulty with that. Asham means guilt. It means guilty. And so if they call the, the uh, guilt offering, it, it, it's a guilt offering, asham. What's significant about that? I actually mentioned that uh, sometime back when I ta- ta- uh, taught, back in June, I believe. What's significant? Why didn't it say sin offering? Well, the sin offering, there were different kinds. You could have a sin offering for the priest. You could have a sin offering for the leader of the people. You could have a sin, sin offering for the entire congregation. Why does it refer to him as being the asham, the guilt offering? The, the unique characteristic about the guilt offering, very similar to the, to the sin offering, except it's only for individuals. The asham, the guilt offering, was only for individuals. What do I mean by that? That Jesus died for one person? No, he died for everybody. His, his, he, he, he's made salvation available to all humanity. But you can't be saved because you belong to a certain church or a certain organization. You can't be saved just because your parents were saved or just because you were raised in a Christian family or just because you go to church. Association and affiliation, it isn't a broad covering. It has to be applied personally. It has to be like the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's a personal relationship with him that requires receiving him and his, his sacrifice yourself. That's why he's the Asham. The Asham was only for individual. It was never for the entire congregation like the sin offering was. Was Jesus a sin offering? Yes, he was. Jesus fulfilled all the offerings. <clears throat> they divide my garments, and for my clothing they cast lots. Yep, that's a prophecy from Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. Was that figurative? Is that apocalyptic literature? Well, yeah, it's a prophecy, but they literally did divide his clothes, and they literally did cast lots for the clothes of Jesus while he hung on the cross. Jesus said, I'll rise on the third day. Well, it was the third day. Is that, a, is that a figurative for a symbol of completion or something like that? Or perfection? Was it a symbol? No. The third day he got up and walked out. That's the truth. <laughs> that was a literal resurrection. And it was a literal raising of, the, of a corpse. And he got up and he walked out. I think that's exciting. <laughs> I think that's exciting. One time I was teaching on it up in, uh, back, that's back in Wichita, actually. And, and a woman came up to me after I taught, 
And she said, I want to make sure I got this right. You said, Jesus rose. And I said, yes. He, she's, you, he rose physically? I said, he rose physically. He got up. I said, he got up. He got up and walked out. He got up and he walked out. She went, wow. <laughs> and it literally happened. It was just like he said, just like he prophesied. It literally happened. And then there's other prophecies. For instance, uh, the prophet Jeremiah in, in Jeremiah 25:11 says that Judah would be in exile in Babylon for 70 years, that the land would make up its Sabbaths that, it, that was missing for 70 years. So how did the prophet Daniel understand this? We read in Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. What did Jeremiah say? Seventy years they'd be in Babylon. Was that figurative? No. It was 70 years. He said 70 years. God says 70 years. What do you mean? He meant 70 years. <laughs> Imagine that. How did, how did Daniel take it? Daniel looked at it and read it, and he took it literally. He said, God told Jeremiah 70 years. I think it's interesting that Daniel was a student of the word of God, and he read the prophets also. And so his reaction to this, I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. He took it literally and, and began to pray, knowing that the time that we're, he was coming up on the 70-year time period. You take Daniel's 70 weeks that he prophesies about. <clears throat> 70 weeks, and he says, it's actually 70 sevens is what it literally is. It means 70 sets of seven years. And he talks about seven years, or seven sevens, and then 62 sevens. That comes up to a total of 483 years. And in his prophecy, in, in, uh, in um, Daniel chapter 9, he says that uh, there'll be seven years and 62 years, and after 62 years, or not years, 62 years, 62 sevens, 62 weeks, after the 62 weeks of seven years, the Messiah would be cut off. The Messiah would be cut off. I can just see two, between the two testaments here, sometime before Jesus came, I can see two Jews, Yosef and Yehuda, talking, and, and Yosef says, Yehuda, I was just looking at the prophet Daniel. He said that Messiah will be cut off. And Yehuda says, no, no, no. It says right there in the book of Daniel that he, he will reign forever and ever. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom which will not pass away. And he's, oh, but it says he'll get cut off. And, and they're looking at different pieces of the puzzle, but the whole puzzle put together it makes complete sense. He did come, and he was cut off, and he will reign forever and ever. Okay? Um, and we can see that now. But it's interesting that he says that Messiah will be cut off. That's in chapter 9, verse 26. And so we notice the progression here. We notice, and we talked about Malachi 3.1 with, uh, uh, that'll be up here on the screen. Malachi 3.1, it says that, um, that the forerunner would be sent and that he would come to the temple. And then Daniel says the Messiah 
will be cut off, and then the temple will be destroyed. And that is exactly what happened. Messiah came. He came to the temple. You know, and there's other prophecies in there too. Uh, Haggai said that the, te- the glory of the second temple will be greater than the Solomon's first temple. How, how's that? Well, it's because Jesus was there. Jesus taught there. Jesus healed there. The, the, that's why it would have more glory than the first temple. And so all these things fall into place. Jesus came to the temple. He was there. Messiah was cut off. Now, those first 69 sets of seven, the first 69 weeks of seven years that he talks about, that works out exactly. Uh, If you want the math, I have it written right here in my Bible in in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, where I work through it and figure out the Hebrew calendar, how many days to a year. Comes at 483 years. I got the date. When does the clock start ticking? The clock starts ticking at the time that the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem. We see that in the book of Nehemiah. The command was given to rebuild Jerusalem. That's when the stopwatch started. That's when the first seven weeks took place. And then the next 62 weeks took place. And it was literal. Every one of those was literal. It came to a literal 483 years, and it comes right to the time that Jesus went to Jerusalem and died. And Messiah was cut off. And it wasn't shortly after that, about 40 years later, that the temple was destroyed, just as the prophet Daniel said. It all happened literally. Now, if the first 69 weeks, sets of seven years, that Daniel talked about were literal... Why would the last week, 70th week, the week of the Great Tribulation, why would that not be literal? How can you say that it's a um, not a literal seven-year tribulation period? And so, and then there's others. We can't go into all these. Uh, the, Isaiah the prophet specifically mentions Cyrus. Cyrus will be the king who will let Judah free to go back to the land and go back to Jerusalem. Guess what? Cyrus wasn't even a gleam in his mother's eye. I mean, this was hundreds of years before. His, his grand, grandparents and great-grandparents probably weren't even around. And yet, Cyrus was the one who did let Israel go back to their land after the Babylonian captivity. He was specifically named by name, and God says, I'll tell you who it is. I'll tell you who it is, so that you know that I know the end from the beginning. <laughs> he said, and your idols can't tell you that sort of thing. I'm the one who declares that. And God is very definite on that in the book of Isaiah. That's in uh, chapter 44, verse 28. So these prophecies of Jesus' first coming and the other events were specific and they were literal. And as the Hebrew prophets specifically, exactly, and literally prophesied that the anointed king is coming, so also the apostles and and Jesus himself close out the New Testament saying that the Messiah is coming. The fact that the dead in Christ will rise first and we who remain will be caught up with them to be with Jesus forever from 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. That's going to literally happen. You can count on it. This isn't figurative. The 70th week, as I said, for the great tribulation, it's a literal seven years. And even in the book of Revelation, it talks about sets of three and a half years and, and that sort of thing. And so it really does, does come to this uh, seven-year time period. It says the two prophets will prophesy for 1,260 days and then be killed, and after three and a half days, they will rise. That's going to literally happen. It talks about plagues. It, just two of them, Revelation 6.8 and Revelation 9.18. In the first one, a fourth of the population is killed, and in the second one, a third of the population is killed. That's going to be billions of people. We, you know, we have floods, we have 
calamities, things going on, and this many people died, and even wars. And there's going to be billions of people dying. And this isn't everybody. That's just two that specifically mentioned. If there's 8 billion, I don't know if there's 8 billion people in the world, but if there was, well, then if uh, one-fourth of them die, that would be 2 billion by itself. And then another third of that's going to die. So that leaves 6 billion, and a third of those die. That's another 2 billion, so that only leaves 4 billion left. If there's a, I'm just working with large numbers here to, to get the magnitude of what's going to happen, and it's going to literally happen that way. The world leader, the beast, he's called, is going to say that you can't buy or sell unless you have a mark on your forehead or your right hand. These are all literal events. It's going to happen in a literal seven-year tribulation period. Jesus will return on the white horse, as we read earlier, and he's faithful and true, and righteousness he judges and wages war, and his robe is dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God, and he's followed by his army in white linen, and on his thigh his name is written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he's literally coming. And yeah, I think he's literally going to ride a horse, and I think I'm literally going to get to ride a horse again myself. Um, I'm looking forward to it. He's literally coming. He will reign for a thousand years, and Satan will be chained and imprisoned. It's going to be a literal thousand years. You know, what? well, Brother Bruce, what if, uh, what if you're mistaken? What if it really is not uh, a literal thousand years? And what if you're standing before the judgment seat of Christ, and Jesus asks you, why were you teaching the people that it's a literal thousand years? And I said, well, Lord, that's what you said. I just, I just, I just took what you said literally. I, I like that answer. Now, if the opposite is true... If what I'm saying is true, and it really is a literal thousand years, and it is, and somebody else is saying, well, let's say me, I'll just keep myself in it. He said, and, and let's say I was saying, well, it's figurative, it's apocalyptic literature, you can't take it literally, and, and I'm telling you this kind of garbage. Uh, that's not the meat of the word, that's baloney. Well, I don't know, you might like baloney, maybe you work for Oscar Mayer, I don't know. I, I'm not trying to put that down, but it, it's not prime rib, I could tell you, it might be meat, maybe. <laughs> But it's not prime rib, all right? But if I told you that uh, it was a, um, not a literal 1,000-year uh, reign, and then I'm before the judgment seat of Christ, he says, why did you tell him that it wasn't literal? And I'd, I'd say, well, you know, I, I didn't think you really meant what you said. Oh, I, don't even, <laughs> I shudder the thought. I don't even want to go there. I didn't really believe what you said. No, he said it's 1,000 years, and it's going to be 1,000 years. And that's what he said. And we can trust that what he said, he will fulfill prophecy yet in the future exactly the way he fulfilled prophecy in the past, and that is in a literal way. Are you all with me? All right. Thank you. I can't think of any place else in the scriptures where God gives a certain length of time, like we talked about, I'll rise from the dead in three days. Uh, Jerusalem will be in captivity for 70 years. I mean, there's here's the, the 70 weeks of Daniel, 70 sets of seven years in, the, in that book of Daniel. All of those are little. I can't think of any place where God gave a time and set a, set a number of days or a number of years and ever, ever, ever meant something figurative, something allegorical. It's always been literal. I can't think of any. Someday he's going to release his hold on creation. He holds it together. He's going to release that hold someday, and it's going to be consumed with fervent heat. He will judge the living and the dead, 
And if you're not saved by grace, your works are not going to be good enough, but, you, and you'll be, but you'll be judged by those works. He's going to create a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. There'll be no more pain, no more death, no more tears. Jesus is literally coming, and he's literally going to bring righteousness and truth and justice and peace and love and joy, every one of these things literally coming. And so I want to finish by looking at Second Peter chapter 3. Verses 11 through 14. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved... Looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. I'm going to stop there. That's even in the middle of a, that's a, a semicolon there, but I'm going to move on here. Let's make 2019 a year of drawing near to Jesus. Let's make this a year of good, hard discipleship, drawing close to him. Let's read through the Bible. We've got the daily walks here. That's a good thing. You don't have to follow that one. You can follow something else. But let's read through the Bible. Let's get to know God better by how he has revealed himself to us in his word. He has revealed himself. to. I'll just be honest here. I've already finished through the Bible this year. I've already started. I got an early jump on next year. You could start today and have a two-day jump on reading through the Bible this next year. Uh, and every time I start over again, I've been doing this for, uh, God's word has been my delight for, I'm coming up nearly on 45 years. And I continue to delight starting over reading the Bible and see from the very beginning in Genesis and see how God has revealed himself little by little through. And, uh, and I just delight in that. I love it. Read through his word. Read through the Bible. Or if you go, oh, I'm not, I don't know if I'm really ready for that. Well, then... Commit to read through the New Testament. Commit to spending time every day in the Word of God. You can't interpret the Bible in the context of the whole if you don't read the whole. You've got to read the Bible through, and if you have read the Bible through, then read it again. Um, Whether it's in English, Hebrew, or Greek, he still shows me new things, new insights, new understanding each time I go through his Word. His Word is living and powerful, and I am absolutely convinced that I could... Even if I read through his, through his word four times a year, which I've never done. I've done it twice in a year, but I've never done it four times. Even if I did it four times a year and I lived to a ripe old age and I did it every year, I will never, ever exhaust everything he has for me in his word. It's a living word. It's powerful. doesn't matter how many times you read it. He will continue to teach you. He'll continue to reveal new things to you. Read it to know him better. See how he has revealed himself in the scriptures. And as you get to know him better you will love him more and more. And so fulfill the first and greatest commandments to love God with all your heart. And as you love him more and more, you will want to walk in his ways. You will want to be obedient to him because you love him and you want to please him. And you don't want to hurt his heart. And in so doing, you will also fulfill the second greatest commandment and all the others. And as you read his word and walk in his ways, the Holy Spirit will work with his word in you to transform you to, be, to make you more like Jesus, to conform to the image or the likeness of Jesus. 
So become an active follower, an active disciple, an active learner of Jesus, learning from him and growing. Grow in grace and knowledge in Jesus in 2019. Run the race set before you, keeping your eyes on Jesus. Don't walk. Don't jog. Run. (laughs) Run the race set before you, letting go of everything that holds you back from getting close to Jesus and having a holy walk with Jesus. Just as he literally came in the same way, he he is literally coming again. And I believe he's coming soon. We don't have time for weak, puny, anemic Christian walks. Pray and seek God's will and use this coming year to grow. I don't want a year to go by and look back over it and see that I have not made progress in my walk with the Lord. I ask that you would make that same commitment to grow in service to our Lord the King, Jesus. But perhaps there's somebody here who's never received Jesus. He literally came and he paid the price for sin. Um, I would, you know, and I could point to some of these things like the Great Tribulation, the things that are coming, uh, the reality of hell, and and, and, uh, appeal to you to receive Jesus because of these things. I'd rather think this morning, though, I'd rather appeal to you on the fact that He's been so precious to me and blessed my life so. I shudder to think where I'd be had he not. Had he not come or had he not saved me. And so I would appeal to you at that level that he can take away the burden of your sin, the burden of your guilt, and give you peace with God. And I think those things are worth coming coming to Jesus. So receive him, please, and his gift of eternal life. If you want prayer, the elders will be available to pray with you. And if you want to be introduced to Jesus, you can do that. If you want to make a commitment to uh, the study, the reading of God's word through this year, or or something else to to grow, then we ask that you would uh, also share that. If you want accountability, that would be another good thing. Uh, Talk to the elders also. Father, thank you for making your word specific and reliable for revealing to us your plans. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would please come quickly. But until you do, please do your work in us and help us to cooperate with your Holy Spirit, with your word, and with your work in making us holy. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.